to The Power of More from Brockmeier and Zalo. Innovation Thinking. Today's episode is about the oceans of this world and the significance they have for the world and for each and every one of us. A global issue, a big issue. Before we bring our guest into the conversation, I would like to introduce the co-host of the podcast, Mr. Dieter Brockmeier, the innovation expert at the Diplomatic World Institute. Hello, Dieter. How are you? It's a long time that I said it that I'm good, but I but I keep repeating it, and I'm really happy about the topic we have this time uh, because um, I met Martin at a, a conference where we were talking about natural capital, and of course people are always saying why economizing the uh, uh, nature. I mean, we uh, we should have something without nature, but I think. And I'm sure Martin is going to explain this to us, why it is really the case. Without economizing uh, natural assets, uh, it will be very hard to protect the planet in the future. Yeah, and now to our special guest, Mr. Martin Kuring, who works for The Economist and heads the World Ocean Initiative. Hello, Martin. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Christian. Hi, Dieter. Great to see you. Great to meet you again, uh, Dieter, as well. And uh, yeah, very good. Thanks a lot. I mean, I agree with Dieter in terms of, you know, it's sometimes difficult to say um, that, you know, you know, we are good. But the reality is there are so many challenges, so many crises, and we're going to talk about some of these crises. But there's actually lots of reason to be optimistic. And the ocean and building a sustainable ocean economy is actually one of the reasons to be optimistic. Cool. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. What is the World Ocean Initiative? What is it all about? Yeah, Christian, so just in terms of, uh, you know, what we do at the World Ocean Initiative, so we are part of Economist Impact, which is, uh, you know, as you said, it's part of the Economist Group that also produces the Economist newspaper. And our focus is really building a sustainable ocean economy. And we have um, those kind of, you know, this is the overarching goal is really, you know, bringing uh, business, finance, policymakers together for this for this goal of building a sustainable ocean economy so it's not just about you know uh, making the most of the resources in the ocean but also you know really developing uh, the ocean economy sustainably for the benefit of people and planet as well and we have three core areas that we focus on as part of you know building a sustainable ocean economy and that is uh, looking at ocean and climate um, so really looking at the the challenges from climate change but also the opportunities that the ocean offers to, uh, you know offers to deal with um, you know, deal with climate uh, change. And then we also have a focus on biodiversity. So looking at the ecosystems in the ocean and how they, you know, can benefit, um, you know, the economy, but also how they can create jobs and how they can actually help to meet some of uh, the key challenges we face. And finally, uh, the third major pillar is our work on uh, pollution and how we can restore ocean health. And that's about, you know, dealing with plastics, um, but also chemical pollution. So these all are our kind of focus areas, but they're all, you know, aimed at really building that sustainable ocean economy that can help us to meet all of these sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. So that sounds a lot like you're taking care about the things that are happening and not leading us into any more further crisis. Mm -hmm. What are the three big crises you're dealing with, actually? 
Yeah, so the, 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 actually the three planetary crises are very much connected. Um, so climate change, obviously, this is, this is the big crisis that everyone talks about. Uh, and of course, the ocean is often a, um, you know, often, uh, you know, we see the results of the climate crisis in the ocean. So we have the storm surges, the tsunamis, uh, all these kind of weather events, but also sea level rise, the collapse of fisheries and so on. So we, we have a lot of the kind of climate related issues with the ocean. Um, and of course, you know, we also have uh, the ocean as a solution to those crises in terms of, you know, uh, not many people talk about it, but, you know, the ocean is actually 70% of, of the planet. And uh, the ocean absorbs 25 to 30% of all global CO2 emissions, for example. So the, um, you know, the ocean is also a solution to climate change. The, the other crisis is the biodiversity loss crisis. And here we have this huge issue of uh, species going extinct, um, and, you know, our opportunity to kind of find new uh, medicine and kind of finding solutions to the problems that we have uh, are undermined by the, you know, biodiversity loss. And that's a big crisis, the nature crisis. And we had this conference, COP15, you know, everyone talks about the COP conference, you know, the COP27, COP26, but there was a big COP15, uh, which was about, you know, the global framework for biodiversity. Um, and there, there was, luckily, the ocean was a major part of that. So the, the biodiversity crisis is one of the key issues that we need to tackle as part of, you know, looking at the ocean. And the final one is, is really the crisis of, of pollution. You know, as I said earlier, plastics is, is such a big uh, issue um, in terms of, you know, the, we are on a trajectory for plastic uh, in the ocean uh, to, to be heavier than all of the fish in the ocean. Uh, and that's absolutely uh, absolutely crazy if you, if you look at the uh, you know the potential that the ocean has instead we are kind of dumping our waste in the ocean um, and one thing that i wanted to mention as well is it's not just about plastic everyone of course you know talks about plastics because we have seen those images you know from you know david attenborough's blue planet and so on but what the key is 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 the chemical pollution crisis has been neglected there are lots of these you know agricultural runoff and you know, um, you know cities produce a lot of chemicals that end up in the ocean so that's the third crisis and Actually, they're all interlinked. So we need to harness the ocean's capacity to tackle all of these three interconnected crises. Yeah, and now we should also talk about solutions. And I think uh, you mentioned uh, the role oceans can play. And I think that uh, this uh, is something that is really under undervalued mm -hmm. very much in the um, Uh, in the discussions, and nobody is really aware of it. We're yeah. talking about mangroves or the whale fish and krill, oh. uh, for instance. But there's a lot more to it. Uh, so, what uh, can what solutions can the ocean provide? Yeah, that's a really great question. And you know, I, I would uh, you know I'd say that you know starting with what you just mentioned in terms of you know the kind of seagrass and the opportunity to restore those natural ecosystems, um, really that natural capital and the conference data data that we attended, uh, you know, about natural capital really uh, uh, put a, uh, you know, put the focus on this marine natural capital. Uh, and that's really, uh, you know, those ocean-based natural assets, for, for example, mangroves, seagrass, tidal marshes, they really are amazing at, uh, you know, as carbon sinks. They're, they're called blue carbon. Um, and that's really something that has often been overlooked. The potential for these ecosystems to help with, um, you know, fighting climate change, but also restoring biodiversity, because often around these ecosystems, there's lots of uh, fish and lots of uh, plants and so on that really offer opportunity to restore biodiversity as well. And one thing that is often neglected is, and you, you, you talked about seagrass, is the potential for seagrass and other of these ecosystems to actually clean up 
the you know the ocean around them because they they are so good at absorbing those nutrients that are not needed and that are actually polluting the the ocean so that's one of those solutions and you know we look at things from an economic perspective as well at, at uh, economist impact and one of the things that we found is you know the global demand for carbon credits from the ocean uh, is set to increase um, incredibly and of course the overall global credit market the carbon credit market is set to increase 15 fold by um, you know uh, you know by 2030 yeah, so to be worth 50 billion US dollars that's that's a massive increase and the ocean offers lots of these opportunities carbon thing is really criticized right mm. now very much and because a lot of things uh, the way it is dealt in the, in the finance market is not really helping the planet, at least that's what some uh, critics say. Yeah, I know, exactly. You're absolutely right. I mean, there has been, uh, you know, a great, um, you know, journalistic and uh, investigative journalism that has revealed recently the, um, you know, the, the problems with the carbon, uh, with carbon credits and the, and, the, and the voluntary carbon credit market. And they're absolutely right in highlighting those issues in terms of verification. There's often double accounting. There's a lack of transparency. And those revelations have mainly come, uh, you know, for land-based, uh, you know, natural assets such as tropical forests and so on. With the ocean, there is also a risk of, you know, lack of transparency, lack of scientific approaches, double accounting, those things. But I would say, there's less less of that risk because many of those kind of opportunities from the ocean they are really new opportunities. So if you uh, you know if you uh, you know harness that seagrass for example or restore that ma these mangroves uh, or if you build those kind of seaweeds uh, aquaculture those are areas that are often kind of new areas and they don't take away any land uh, they um, don't need any you know water because the water is already around them so there is a there are lots of these co-benefits there you know the carbon credits that come from those blue carbon assets they're often much higher quality than land-based ones they also create lots of jobs and we look for example at indonesia and the seaweed industry there there's lots of opportunity to create jobs and engage with local communities one of the projects we looked at uh, at economist impact is the uh, Mikoko Pamoja project in Kenya, which actually helped lots of the locals to get engaged with mangrove uh, reforestation. So there's that huge opportunity as well. But I agree with you, there are risks, uh, but I think we need to seriously look at blue carbon as a potential market-based solution uh, to help deal with those three crises we mentioned earlier. Okay. Is the blue carbon credits you mentioned, are they already traded? Are they exchanged somehow? Yes, yeah, so I mean, they're often there. There are no open exchanges, but there are closed exchanges for those, and they, um, you know, there's increasing potential uh, to add them to, you know, to to, to the broader uh, global credit market, which I mentioned is on course to increase 15-fold by 2030. So that's increasingly, you know, they're increasingly these blue carbon credits being added to the um, open exchanges, but it's mostly closed. Uh, closed exchanges in terms of trading, but the potential is absolutely enormous. I mean, often we talk about mangroves because they are such effective sinks. I mean, they, uh, you know, they're more than 50 times uh, more effective as carbon sinks than forests. They provide these storm and flood defenses and so on. But it's actually seagrass that is often overlooked. It's only 0.2% of the seafloor, but 10% of the ocean's uh, capacity to store carbon. And already, uh, you know, there's there's an economist uh, called uh, Ralph Sharmi who looks a lot at these these issues. He, he he works at the IMF, but he has actually started his own business. And 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 Dieter, you might remember we met him at um, in Geneva for this conference. And he has he's on my list too, by the way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know it's, 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 he's such an expert. And, and we talked a lot about this economic potential. And one for the seagrass is 2.3 trillion US dollars in terms of just the carbon sequestration you know, a value of seagrass. And that's just massive. Um, so we, sh we shouldn't neglect that. Of course, people talk about coral reefs and, and so on. But, you know, seagrass is often, you know, the, uh, you know, underinvested opportunity. Interesting. You mentioned ocean health in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, agriculture is growing. Cities are growing as well. What does that mean for the oceans, actually? Yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, you mentioned cities and, agri um, and, and agriculture. And I think the um, the, the blue food opportunity is just absolutely incredible. I mean, we have uh, overfished, um, you know, global global fisheries are completely overfished. So the overfishing issue is, is massive. I think about a third of all the global uh, fisheries are already uh, depleted or overfished. Uh, and for that, we need to find alternatives. And sustainable aquaculture is such an enormous opportunity. And we look at that a lot at the World Ocean Initiative, where we uh, we look at those fish farms. And, and, and there are risks. I mean, you know, the, the, the high-level panel for the sustainable ocean economy uh, put out a study that showed that, you know, two-thirds of all the protein that we need as humans by 2050 could be provided by the ocean, mainly through uh, sustainable aquaculture, but there's also, you know, shellfish, for example, seaweed and others. So the blue food opportunity is, is absolutely massive because as we said earlier, you know, sustainable aquaculture doesn't need, you know, water, it doesn't need land, all those kind of big issues and crises that were recently mentioned at the COP conference in Davos. So that's a massive opportunity, but ocean health also means Uh, you know, dealing with plastic and, and chemical pollution. And I would say the chemical pollution issue has been neglected, agricultural runoff, uh, what cities do. And that's because it's similar to the um, plastic crisis. You know, it's, it's out, of, out of sight, out of mind. And then David Attenborough came along, Blue Planet came along, and, and people started to realize that there is an issue. What we are doing, and we have a, a sister initiative that's called the Back to Blue Initiative, and we were at the UN Ocean Conference last year as well to really put chemical pollution at the top of, of mind. And one of the reasons is that companies can no longer neglect chemical pollution because uh, issues around uh, the circular economy, around biodiversity, which is being harmed by chemical pollution, will be at the top of, um, you know, of policymakers, but also business agendas because of the EU taxonomy. You know, the EU taxonomy this year has updated its definition of sustainable activities. And it's no longer just about emissions. There's biodiversity in there, there's a circular economy in there, and chemical pollution and the way companies deal with their um, chemical uh, pollution through, through their value chain will be more increasing in the spotlight. Well, and uh, we haven't touched the issue of deep sea or deep sea or close to coast mining. Mm. Uh, this too can challenge all uh, all initiatives to uh, for a sustainable ocean management. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there there is a risk that uh, you know that that decisions are made to exploit uh, the deep sea without having harnessed its full potential when it is restored. And it's a similar approach to the, to the one we discussed uh, at the conference in, in Geneva, which is about uh, the extractive economy versus the living economy. Deep sea mining is such a typical example of the extractive economy. It's basically saying, you know, we have all these, you know, electric vehicles and we need all these metals. They're out there. We need to extract them. But then, you know, there's what is neglected in this approach is that the living economy 
keeping and restoring those ecosystems down there in the deep sea provide a lot more economic value than we could possibly get from all those metals. Um, just one example is, you know, we just had, you know, we just had and still have this pandemic, which uh, requires us to be very innovative in terms of medical innovation. And of course, we were all very, you know, in a, in a way happy and we are grateful that we have found that, you know, the, those, those vaccines very quickly. The ocean provides lots of opportunities for medical innovation uh, in terms of antibacterial and, and, and also other uh, medical innovations. And they're out there. They're down, you know. They're down there in the deep sea, and we need to harness those and protect those ecosystems and the biodiversity that comes with it, uh, rather than going in with this mindset of extracting and exploiting. Well, we it's the same with a uh, with a rainforest, and we see mm -hmm. what's happening to the rainforest, and we know all about the hidden potentials for for medicine and and stuff like that. And still, yeah. we uh, don't manage to uh, to keep the uh, Uh, to keep the rainforest alive. So what can we do on that? And more or less, how can we stop uh, that uh, to oceans, uh, the same things are happening? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And actually, I do think there is a role to play for carbon credits. And I know this has been very much criticized, and we talked about this, but the reality is the value of protecting and restoring those ecosystems vastly outweighs Uh, the benefits of uh, exploiting them. So if we put a value, and with that value, we don't mean that, uh, you know, this tropical forest or these mangroves or this seagrass has only this one value. You know, you put a dollar value and say, like, it doesn't have any other value. So that's not true. I mean, we all, you know, for example, we value the work we do and we get paid for that work. And But we don't just value the money we get for it. We also value the social interactions, the academic intellectual challenges, And all these other things that we value about work. So if you put a value on work, there are so many benefits. But we wouldn't say, well, you know, let's not, not put an economic value on work, right? You know, it has all these other things. You can, all, you can easily work for free. You wouldn't do that. And the same with nature. You would also put all these other values. There's lots of sentimental value with the ocean, you know, the, those beautiful coral reefs and so on. There's also the social value. You interact with people. And, and all these other intrinsic values of the ocean, but also there needs to be an economic value. And once we do that through natural capital accounting, blue carbon credits and so on, then we will also just realize how much we are destroying. You know, if we, if we, if we get rid of that coral reef, if we take away that mangrove forest and build a hotel there, if we, if we don't harness that, those seagrove mang uh, meadows and so on. So I think the, the, the natural value and uh, natural capital approach is absolutely vital for the ocean. Well, I mean, a lot of water surrounds us as humans. Um, does the politicians have all that surrounding water on the radar screen in a, in a proper and decent way? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the po policymakers, are, you know, are often, uh, you know, they have all these different priorities and they need to kind of, you know, think about the things that are more immediate to, uh, to the problems they have. Uh, but there are actually really good examples of policymakers putting the ocean at, the, at front and center. And of course, many of those are island nations that are under threat, uh, like the Seychelles, you know, that protects about 100%, you know, of its mangroves and seagrass by 2030. There are lots of restoration projects in Vietnam and Colombia, uh, for example. Uh, the UK, US, Sweden and others, uh, you know, also in the developed world are very much focused now on uh, seagrass restoration. Which is really good. They've, you know, finally, finally seeing those benefits. 
uh, on coral reefs, uh, there has recently been really this wake-up call that you know coral reefs are absolutely vital, not just for fish species, but they're also great for you know absorbing. Uh, you know, those risks, you know, in terms of coastal wave energy and when we have those storm surges and these kind of things. And a lot of people depend on coral reefs for, for food and well-being uh, and jobs and so on. So uh, what is happening now is there's real focus by policymakers, such as, you know, Madagascar, Chile, Nicaragua and so on. And, and Belize, of course, you know, Belize is one of the first countries that uh, has a sovereign blue bond. Um, so there is there's lots of focus now, uh, but we, we need to get a global focus. And that, that is increasingly happening, but you, you might be aware that the, that the High Seas Treaty was negotiated last year and they didn't come to a conclusion. There was a lot of political, um, you know, uh, kind of fighting from different sides, from developed versus developing countries from different regions. But the High Seas Treaty is absolutely vital, really putting a treaty out there to protect the high seas, because what we have is we have lots of agreements on you know, the exclusive economic zone that is just around, uh, you know, the countries, the coastal countries. But what we need is we need a high seas treaty. And lastly, we had a bit of progress on it, but we need this global agreement to really make, uh, you know, make progress on, on ocean governance. Okay. What would be your five-year plan? Um, so, I mean, I think there are several things that we need that we need to do. Um, I mean, we really need to, uh, to, to get investors involved in this. And, you know, you might know... Um, that the uh, that the SDG that is on the ocean, you know, SDG 14, uh, is is the least invested. It's completely underinvested. And what we need is we need uh, we need to get investors excited. And one of the ways to get investors excited is by highlighting that potential to have high quality carbon credits from those these blue carbon ecosystems. And we also have, uh, you know, increasingly uh, diverse funding sources. And at, at the World Ocean Network, we look at this all the time in terms of how can we um, how can we mobilize finance. So there is, for example, initiatives from the uh, Asian Development Bank and the European Investment Bank, and so on, to really provide that seed funding that's absolutely vital to get impact investors involved and to get private sector investors involved more broadly. And I'm also encouraged to see those accelerators, you know, the likes of Catapult Ocean and others that are really increasingly going into this space and providing not just funding, but also expertise. There's private equity funds uh, now going into this space. We need innovative financing mechanisms. In addition to that, I mean, we have the blue bonds, you know, the Seychelles, the Belize one. And we also have private blue bonds. We have the Nordic Investment Bank that issued a blue bond. Uh, and, and others. Um, and we have financing initiatives in, in, in different sectors of the ocean economy. So, so, for example, the Poseidon principles that, you know, is really about banks coming together and say, like, we are not funding shipping companies that are not doing uh, the decarbonization, right? So there's definitely that need for that blue finance that we need. Um, and I would say the key is to provide this kind of pipeline of bankable projects. And that's something that is often not there. We had an event uh, in Halifax in Canada uh, last year, the World Ocean Tech and Innovation Summit, that brought together you know, the impact funds, the accelerators, um, the innovators. And one of the issues that was identified there is the lack of projects. It's not the lack of money, because people say, oh, no one invests in the ocean. Yes, there is money, but we need those investable projects. So we need to um, we need to be innovative and we need to encourage innovation uh, to make sure that that money that is there goes to the right projects to restore ocean health, but also make sure that we harness the uh, sustainable ocean economy. Okay. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of to do and a lot of opportunity. And um, it's good that uh, there is slowly 
the focus is mm. moving more towards the ocean because the potential is absolutely enormous. And when we really manage it to uh, to get this uh, capitalist vessel to move into that right way and to p- pick up the potential that is still hidden there, mm. then I think we have the chance of really uh, doing big progress in uh, protecting our planet uh, and can create a joint effort uh, that really ha- has a huge impact. Yeah, yes. that was Dieter Brockmeier. We had Martin Curring today in the studio who works for The Economist and heads the World Ocean Initiative. Thank you for the very interesting insights. Thank you very much, Dietz and Chris. Two, the power of more. From Brockmeier and Salo. Innovation thinking.